Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Chuck, Chuck, hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey, just waiting for these guys to sit down. They're just walking around, talking, talking shooting the shit. I don't know. We got Jess Wade on today. Muted wines. We're making sure the wines are tasting delicious, Brian. Bar Hansen is here as well. It's a beautiful summer day. We're are we in? Su- are we actually fun. in summer yet? Once uh, solstice is what twenty twenty one this twenty first twenty one. Okay, so we're almost there. Am I am I dumping this out? Well, it okay. will be it will be passed by the time this one airs, unless we push this in front. Now we can't. No, no. Okay, cool. So this is, so we are actually in summer. And Jess brought a rosé, which I appreciate. Just for you. Aw. And you can hear his little flippity-floppity of his uh, Yeah, I never trust a vineyard manager that wears flip-flops. <laughs> That's what I What did you guys call say. them growing up? My, my parents used to call them go-go's. No, ours were flip-flops. And don't say the racist term. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> flip-flops, go-go's. Flip-flops is what I've always called them. And, you know, I get to take my boots off every once in a while. So I'm taking advantage. All right. Go ahead and pull that microphone right up to the corner of the table there. And yep. Then. Perfect. There we Perfect. go. Beautiful. I can hear your beautiful voice and see your beautiful face, Jess Wade. Oh, thank you, sir. So good to see you. It's been years. <laughs> it's. It, it, I don't know when the last time is uh, that you and I saw each other. Jess and I used to work together at The Girl and the Fig, and um, you know, Jess has always been into wine, and so at some point he kind of started dividing his time up. Um, the first time I met you was definitely at The Girl and the Fig, and mm-hmm. I think you actually... Had you weren't making wine at that point, maybe you were just farming and you were trying to sell me grapes. Yep. Of which I had no money to buy. <laughs> if you would have offered them for free, that would have been probably, you know, the right maybe way the to do it. Maybe the only way you right? would have those. <laughs> but um uh Jess, welcome to the welcome to the winemaker show. Thank you. Happy to podcast. be on happy to be on finally. So let's get this straight here. You are a uh Sonoma local, right? Born and raised here? Born and raised. All right. Up, in, up on Cavedale Road, up in the mountains, yeah. Moon Mountain District. A, a mountain guy. Yeah. Um and um uh, how long were your parents um how long did they live here before that? Dad is from Jersey, came okay. here in the late seventies. Mom is from West Covina down in LA. And, and she's been here since the eighties is when she moved to San Francisco. So where did they meet and how did they end up in Sonoma? My dad was selling her pasta. My dad has a local pasta ah, company. That's right. And been around for thirty years. Wine country pasta, you can get it at Sonoma yep, Market. Yep. Uh you're welcome, Dad. Not that he needs the help. Uh, and then he was selling her pasta. My mom is a chef okay. as well. Um, right. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. So she was at a restaurant or at a at an old folks home, actually, in uh, Lucas Valley. Yeah. And according to my dad, he chased her for a couple months, which we all know is BS. Um, <laughs> or she ran away for a couple months. Ran away from a couple <laughs> for a couple months. Seems about right. Some crazy hippie with two crazy kids. Yeah. Wasn't ideal. And at that point, uh, people weren't calling the cops. No. Yeah. No, not not yeah. back then, but no. So uh, they live up here now, still living up on Cavedale, my where I grew up. And so, how far up Cavedale are you? Four and a half miles up. So that's about halfway. Yeah, or yeah, half a little, little more than half. It's seven and a half, half miles to the Trinity, okay, uh, Oakville grade cross, right? Basically, okay. okay. And um, so, uh, which what aspect do you guys have from from there? 
uh, more southwest South, or north face? Southwestern facing slopes. Um, we don't have any fruit actually planted up there yet, but we were just talking on Father's Day and we're going to start ripping because um, after the fire came through, it burned all of our land. Right. My dad and I saved our house, our barn, and our garage. Okay. Everything else burnt, which honestly, a lot of things need to go away anyways. Right. But now we're clearing <laughs> all the land. Clear the land, yeah. We so have how, to. So how many acres? We have 40 up there total. Wow, really? Yeah, wow. we have 40. Um, plantable right now without even clearing the rest of the trees out. Um, I have about five that I can plant with different... Um, different orientation. So we have a lot of southwestern facing slope, but I do have a, uh, basically a hill. We're kind of in a, in a, what would you call that? Like a caldera where it's a dip right. in the mountain. Yeah. So we have a bunch of different facing slopes. So yeah. I have actually a lot of room to play. Yep. So if I wanted to, and I really do, Grenache is one of the ones that I want to plant up there. Here, here. And I want to plant it on somewhere that doesn't quite get the end of the day sun yep. to keep it a little bit cooler than the cab and things like that. Uh, yep. Um, but yeah, we have, we have a lot of room to play, but I'll be the one doing the planting. I'll be doing everything because I can't afford to hire people. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, and with that much land, that's a lot of work. I mean, what a I mean you're not talking about something you do in, you know, in March. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about this several years. Oh yeah. And we'll, yeah. we'll plant, I'll plant small blocks as we go. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, luckily I have some good crews that I work with cause I currently farm 14 acres here in the Valley, um, from Carneros to Kenwood and actually just up the street from where we are now. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you grew up here in Sonoma, uh, went to Sonoma High. Correct. And then where did you go? Because you're how old? I'm 32. I'll be oh, 33 this harvest. Okay. Okay. And so, um, so, so what was your first winery job or what, was, what drove you into this part of the business? Well, technically, my first harvest was when I was 10 years old, just down the street on Orange Avenue. My buddy's grandfather um, made wine. They had, they would, we would go out and pick his neighbor's grapes and we would go bring it back to his house and had his own winemaking setup. And we would go stomp on the grapes and just home winemaking, just home winemaking. And he did it for his neighbors too. And it was just basically a community. So there's a bunch of vineyards on there and everyone would pull their grapes together and they would all make wine. Nice. Um, I had a great time doing it. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but after high school, I moved to San Francisco I was working at Bank of the West. I was trying to be a banker. I was going to school for it. I thought that was for me. I quickly realized after about three and a half years of doing that. I thought he was going to say three and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was. You know, I learned a lot banking, but... um, I mean, that's really interesting. You, it's just something you really don't hear that often, you know? Um, I, you don't. I mean, yeah. I've been around a lot of bankers. My mom worked in banks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you just don't hear people doing that these days. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, something that you may be going to later on in life. But. Yeah. I, d- I started when I was 16 years old as a teller at Bank of the West here in wow. Sonoma. Yeah. I think it's illegal now to do that. Um, but yeah. anyways, so I moved to the city and I was doing the banking thing and I quickly realized that I was miserable. I mean, I grew up on a 40 acre ranch, you know, in the middle of the mountains and I moved to San Francisco and my neighbor was a foot away. It was a little yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nightlife, but, nightlife's a little bit better though. A little bit. I wasn't even 21 <laughs> yet though. I was only 20 years oh, old yeah. when I left and I left there, came back here, kind of floated around and, um, I was offered a job through the Harristies, you know, Val Harrisy. Sure. So Val got his son a job down in Santa Maria at Rancho Sisquoc Winery, which is out on Fox and Canyon road. Yep. And, uh, Evan said, Hey, you know, I know you want to get out of here. You want to go work a harvest. I had nothing here. So I said, sure. Packed up my stuff. We moved down to Santa Maria a few weeks later 
And when I was 20, I got my first job at Rancho Sisquoc Winery. Did it ever occur to you to work harvest around here? Uh, I didn't even think about it. The only reason I got the job and worked down there or even got into the wine industry was because they offered it. Right. right. I had no clue that. I mean, I drank wine growing up with my parents, like really good wines, but I never thought I'd get into it. I never thought it'd be a profession for me. Right. Within two weeks of working there and working under Alec Franks, great winemaker, great viticulturist, which is, I think, even more important. I knew it's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life Hmm. within two weeks. Cool. Wow. Um, Which really resonates with me. And I remember the day. I mean, I remember cleaning out bins and he would take me out to the vineyard and, you know, he showed me a lot um, in that one harvest and I'll never forget it. Yeah. I mean, I I was the same way. My first harvest, I was like, this is, this is so much fun. I can't believe that I get the opportunity to do this. And I don't know that I said I was going to do it for the rest of my life, but I, one when they hired me on full time, mm-hmm. I thought I could work here for my entire you know career. Um, and where was that? That was at Kenwood. Oh, okay. Um, and, and it's it is it's it's a um, yeah it's, it's a great industry. It's you know you know something something that I saw was the correlation between cooking and winemaking. You know, I grew up in my parents' kitchens cooking with them, and um, it's the same thing. You bring in an agricultural product. Ours are grapes. Theirs is produce, you know, poultry, whatever it is. You bring it into your kitchen, the winery. Yep. You use five ingredients or less. Don't mess with it because you got good. You got a good product in. Yep. And then you put it on your plate, which is the bottle. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it, it makes sense. Yeah. And so what was so. So from. Yeah, from doing that now, first harvest because there. of the first time that I had met you was when we were both working in service industry, yep. working for a local restaurant here that some people might know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, um, but then it seemed at some point you decided you were going to spend a little more time um, working on wine. I went, so in between then and my first harvest and then when we met, I was still doing harvests every year. I was okay. working in harvest. I was kind of floating around. I did construction in, on, in the off season. I was trying to find a full-time gig. Um, and then I decided to go back to school. And I got the job at Girl in the Fig so I could go back to school. Oh, okay. So the whole time I was there, I was in school and I was helping um, John Kelly. You remember John? Yeah, sure. Um, I would help him. In the, well, in my shout out time. to John Kelly. Yeah. You know what? I haven't seen that guy in a long time, but I ran into him the, that guy. I ran into him the other day. He's doing great. Okay. I need to bring him some wine. Oh, <laughs> man, what is he doing? Um, he's helping his wife in biotech cause he used to be Westwood wines was, Correct. was his deal. Yep. And then, um, um, that got taken over, but John was one of my favorite people in the wine. Business. John is a fantastic person, a great winemaker, yeah. a really nice guy. Definitely one of my mentors. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the, one of the, I was fortunate to be friends with him and to work with him. Yeah. And, and a lover him. of the chartreuse VEP. Oh the, my gosh. The good chartreuse. You know, you there's there's this certain chartreuse that's really expensive. I think you know for the restaurant to purchase like 120 130 dollars bottle, um, and and you'd put it up on the on the bar, and the only time you'd see it move is if you had winemakers that would come in, and because they're into flavors and, yeah. and complexity, and so most people are like chartreuse, they have no idea what it is. No normal but, person wants um, to drink that. But yeah, the, John John was one of the. Uh, he probably went through most of the chartreuse, um, the good chartreuse yeah. um, that we have behind the bar because he would just sit there and sip it. Yeah, I mean, it's safe to say John is a, a wine geek's wine geek. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so when we were working together, I was still in school. I was still kind of working, not really working harvest, but still helping out with John. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, after that, after school, I went to Sojourn and did a uh, harvest there and worked with them and had a lot, had a lot of experience in the vineyards there, working with uh, Eric, working with Randy, um, had a great time. And then I went overseas. So I was in Australia, New Zealand, Good for you. New Zealand, oh, holds a place in my heart. Yeah. Um, I'd still be there had it not been for, uh, my label that we Mm -hmm. have here today. We're drinking the, uh, 2018 Sonoma Coast, uh, Pinot, uh, excuse me, Rosé of Pinot Noir. Yeah. Um, I came back to start this and, uh, got back in the restaurants to pay for the label. And so, so what year did you work Harvest Abroad? Uh, I was there in 2016. So I did 2016 Harvest in uh, Clare Valley yep. in South Australia. I jumped over. Uh, 36 hours later, I started another harvest in the central Otago region nice. of uh, of New Zealand. It's very far south. It's actually the southernmost wine growing region yep. in the world. Yep. Wow. Um, Wait, it's, it's, hold on a second. Let's talk about that. So yeah. southernmost. <coughs> so you're talking about much cooler temperatures? Very so, cool climate. So does that mean that you're planting much different grapes or that you're just having an extended it's growing all, it's, season? It's Pinot. virtually all Pinot there. Yeah. Virtually okay. all yeah. Pinot. And and of the very much the cool variety, cool climate variety, very yeah. racy Pinots. Huh. Um, Re- very good. Yeah. I brought oh. I brought back three cases in, in suitcases on the airplane. Wow. <laughs> so... Um, so when you were at those two uh, appellations, mm-hmm. did you work at, you know, most of us think about New Zealand and Australia's larger production wineries, yeah. um, but we know there are a lot of very small and, you know, handcrafted wines. W- what were your two experiences? Clare Valley, I was at Kerry Hill Winery, massive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty much a factory. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, was a night sh- I was a night shift supervisor there, so I worked 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. almost seven days a week. Yeah. Um, I worked a lot there. I had a great time in the Clare Valley. There are great wines there. Um, it's a little warm for my liking in wine style, right. um, but it, it allowed me to travel throughout Australia. I've right. made friends in Clare. I made fl- friends in Adelaide. I have friends in Melbourne now. I have friends all over there, and I, so I got to travel. Kind of like our Central Coast, like it's big, big. Everything is hand har- Everything is machine harvested and brought in in big trucks. And, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there are some great small producers there. Brothers at War, Angus Wardlaw is a great winemaker. Um, my buddy who do- has Rock of Wisdom, uh, Pete Hiscock, is amazing wines. Um, so there are there are great small wineries, right. but I think but again, mostly. Yeah, and I think I think what it is is most of the it, it, what I understand those areas are were kind of founded on the or have maintained on the large wineries. Yeah, um, and like many places, you know, the small wineries are starting to take over. People Correct. that work within the wineries, you know, yep. little, little smaller facilities are popping up. And okay, stuff. Mm-hmm. but how did you get? So you don't just get on a plane and land there and then go, hey, can I get a job? Like how how did that come about? The good old internet. Oh, interesting. So I found I found Kerry Hill online. I found it as an online okay. job. There's a couple of different places that you can you can look, and um, that was merely just so I could go and travel. We're looking for young American boys to work uh, <laughs> twelve hours a day, seven days a week for minimal well, money. When you put it like that, it sounds like something. But a different we have industry. some we have some interesting looking chicks here for you to uh, sample. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. A little bit, a little okay. bit. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we did that, but. Where I worked in New Zealand was actually set up through John Kelly. Oh, cool. Um, he knew a winemaker down there. Um, and he's like, if you're going to make Pinot and you want to go to Central Otago, he's like, you're going to work for this guy. So Malcolm Reese Francis is the winemaker at Rockburn, which mm-hmm. is in Central Otago. 
and how, how do you spell that? Otago. Otago. O T A G O. O T A G O. Okay. Um, and so he got me his email. We got in touch literally within two emails. He's like, cool. When can you be here? Hmm. I said, here's the date I can be here. He said, great. I will have housing for you. We'll pick you up. Um, we had to, I had to fly into Christchurch and then you take like this nine hour bus ride wow. out into the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there's a reason why they have housing for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I actually lived on an old sheep sharing station next to Burn Cottage, which is Ted Lemon's project down there. Right. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, we had housing. Uh, one of my roommates there had a car and I lived next to a beautiful river. I could go fishing out every day and uh, harvest there was great. Okay. So tell people how that works. Cause you land there. I'm sure. So you have a little bit of money, right? You, have, yeah. you come with a little bit of money and you have yes. to do some kind of exchange. Yep. So you got money to spend, mm-hmm. but then you get there and then are, so are they, they're paying you in checks. I'm assuming not cash, right? Correct. Um, and so you have a, a place for you to live in. It's got like a, what a bed, a bathroom, bed, bathroom, kitchen, everything you need. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and then you, you said your friend had a car. Yep. Okay. One of the other interns that was there, who actually is from Northern California, oh, his, nice. his family has Fry Winery, the organic oh, winery. Wow. Yeah. yeah okay. So that's his uncle's project. Or, yeah, okay. Redwood Valley. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you just show up there, and so day one is like, let's give you a tour, and day um, two is get to work. Right. Wow. And you know, I was a supervisor there as well because I had a lot of experience by that point, and. Um, you know, their winemaking style is very much like mine. It's, it's very hands off. We mm-hmm. got a lot of really good fruit in. Um, they did inoculate their fermentations. Um, unlike my wines where I don't, I do all natural fermentations. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, get good fruit in, don't mess with it. Let's right. have good lunches. Yeah, Just don't fuck it up. Yeah. And just yeah. don't fuck it up. Right. Um, lunch was very important at Rockburn. We mm-hmm. cooked our own lunches every day and I mean, we ate very well. Um, what we, kind of food are they? Is there cattle, sheep, what lamb, lamb? Oh, okay. lamb! Sheep is king. Wow! I made friends with a local butcher, and mm-hmm. he made his own charcuterie. He would import a poisse for me for our cheese days. Nice. Um, the food and the vegetables there were great. Nice. Um, it's a it's a beautiful. It's definitely a breadbasket kind of. Like, but you're working hard, right? I mean, you're working, yeah. or it's just long hours, or is it actually working hard? Working hard and long hours. Okay. Um, in case you need to work a real harvest yeah. sometime, not just come hang out with I, me. At you the know what? I was, I was, <laughs> I, I get tried a that. Sweat on your breath. One of my, you know, <laughs> the first winery job was working for the Benzigers and working in the taste room and imagery, and I yeah. and I expressed interest in working out in the field, <clears throat> and I remember the. Wasn't just one person or two people. It was it was numerous people that said, "Dude, all the romance is gone once you leave this tasting room." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I kind of like my cushy life. Yeah, um, it'd be fun to go like pick like two clusters and throw them in someone's bin." Um, but well, you don't want an eight-hour pick overnight no. with me? Come no, on, I do not. <laughs> we we used to always have, you know. Um, at Kedwood more so than anywhere else where the distributor would send in a busload of reps for a sales meeting. And during harvest, you'd take them out and let them pick grapes. And they always <laughs> used to think they'd do the greatest job oh. picking those grapes. And what they never saw was Chewy's crew go through after and get everything. That they missed. <laughs> totally. But they had the experience, you yeah. know, they cut their fingers, they got dirty, they ate grapes and and people want to do it, you know. That's they do absolutely. It, it's funny that Sam's whole idea of having the you know the yuppie um, um, wine, the, the yuppie camp. wine experience is right. boot camp. Mm-hmm. Is these people want to come here? He's like, fuck it. If they want to come here, I'll have them pick the grapes. And you know, uh, Kyle from Single Thread, the chef and owner of Single Thread, did the same thing. Asana and I were asking him about 
you know, what you guys do for auction lots, you know, to keep it interesting. And, and, you know, cause we thought, Oh, a family meal would be kind of cool at a restaurant like that. Where yeah. Instead of selling in two, two seats to a seven course tasting menu is, Hey, we're selling two seats to our, our family meal where you're sitting down <laughs> with where our, you know, our uh, sous chefs are making the dinner. You're sitting down with the employees drinking wine. And he was like, Oh no, what we do is we sell an experience out in the garden and the vineyard because they make their own <laughs> wine. He's like, we put them to work. Oh yeah. So, so not only, so these people are, you know, out trying to outbid each other for this single thread experience. <laughs> and then they get there and they're like, all right, get out in the field and start picking shit. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you put your boots on. I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Oh so my Jess, let's, um, let's get back to your label here a little bit. Um, so just you, a little bit, just a little bit. So you <laughs> came back from, um, uh, the Southern hemisphere, mm-hmm. um, went back to work in restaurants to save money to, um, because we know you can make more money working as a server than you can in the wine business. Exactly. Starting a winery. Um, and, um, and then started farming some small vineyards. Correct. And when I say small vineyards, you're doing things like, you know, somebody puts in a hundred vines on their piece of property and cause they're romanticizing it and then they realize how much work it is. And, um, a little more than a hundred, but yeah, my smallest vineyard is uh, a half acre and okay. it's someone's front yard. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, yeah it, they romanticize and then they realize that it is a right. ton of work. And so there's a lot of those vineyards out there Yep. and, um, and so you just got to get out and Johnny hustle and find them, or sometimes they just find you, right? Both ways. Uh, I have a cab vineyard, the one up the street from here. I wrote letters to the family. I found them through uh, property records. I found an address and wrote them handwritten letters because I watched their vineyard just go to hell, basically. Yeah. Um, and I've been taking, I took over that vineyard two years ago and I'm bringing it back to life. Um, but that took two and a half years to get a hold of them finally. But what were they doing with the fruit? Nothing. It literally sat and just the, the, the father died who had, it was his project and the mother didn't want to spend any really money on it and didn't know what to do with it. They had their, they had their gardener prune it every year. So they just didn't know who to reach out to. No clue. And two and a half years of looking through property records, sending letters, finally got a response from her son-in-law. And then since then, uh, met her son, John, who's great. And, uh, yeah, I've taken over and we're just rehabilitating the vineyard. And how many acres is that vineyard? Uh, we have one on top of the hill here, which is about an acre and a half. And then, um, down in the valley is about two, almost three acres. The one down in the valley, I think needs a lot of work. It's a lot of love. I went through with the Salzal last year during pruning and I'm just cutting arms off completely. So... It, it's a lot of work, but you know, we get, we get some actually pretty good fruit out of it. Um, it's all dry farmed not by choice. It's cause the irrigation system's broken and they don't right. want to fix it, but right. it's cab in the Valley floor. It's fine. Right. Right. Not worried about it. So well, let's put that out there for people that, I mean, hell, I always love st- putting stuff out there and eat those. If you have a vineyard or you took over a vineyard from a family member or you had someone that died, God forbid, <laughs> um, and you just want some, there are people out there that would love Yep. to come in. I mean, Morgan Peterson is a good, I think a good example of that. People that have got some old vine stuff on their property and mm-hmm. they're just not quite sure, you know what they're doing. They're selling yep. it for cheap. And, um, there are people that will come, um, talk to you and hook you up with people. Give so quick shout out. Give me your contact info. Uh, my contact info, you can reach me at, uh, Jess at topophilia com. Topophilia is my label. Uh, it's spelled T O P O P H I L. I a right. 
could and, be your savior. And 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 let's talk <laughs> about topophilia a little bit. So <laughs> it's esoteric. I'm aware, it's, and I've heard all know, I've heard all the jokes. It's very sexual. <laughs> it is absolutely. Yeah. You think so? Really? I mean, have have you looked at the label? Have you seen the woman's the woman's butt on there? Uh, no. It looks like like what do they call that? Rorschach. Rorschach. The, the you know the 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 splatters that the psychiatrists oh. show you and, and it's all based on your interpretation. It's probably because so, I need a psychiatrist. So, yeah, if you go, I decided to get right. in the wine industry. If you say, Oh, it looks like titties. They're like, Oh, you obviously have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> if you say it looks like a woman's butt, then you're good. Right. Uh, so, maybe. So, <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk about how did you come to up with the name topophilia and then how, and, and what's the story behind the art on the label? So, I might see some boobies. I think I do. <laughs> There's also an elephant on the or, other side. Or they're rocks. I'm not sure. Oh, I see the elephant. So definitely. when I first got... We'll, we'll start with that since we're on the subject. When I first got this uh, label design from my designer, um, I gave her something completely different that I wanted. I thought I wanted like classics, like, you know, the classic winery, the classic Chateauneuf, wine label. Burgundy, Bordeaux. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She looked at it and threw it in the garbage and then sent me this. And... The instant I saw it, I was like, yes, please tell me no more often. Huh. And what I thought of first was what you said, rocks. Rocks. Yeah, I thought of like, like a, I thought of like a lithograph or like an x-ray of rocks. Right. Totally. Um, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's perfect. Because my farming style is, you know, I'm an, I'm an organic farmer. I, I'm not certified because I can't afford that. Wait, wait a minute. To, to be an organic... Okay, so I knew that the vineyard had to be certified organic, but you actually have your vineyard, vineyard manager has to be certified organic as well? Well, no, I am the vineyard manager. But, but My I mean, vineyards are organic. My wine is not organic. But but as a vineyard manager, do you have to get some sort of accreditation as well to farm an organic vineyard? I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay. Um, I'm not doing it because I don't believe in it. Right. Um, I'm not going to spend a ton of money on a certification that I don't really need. Well, you just so, want to you just want to go through the process. You don't want to have to be it have it be I, I farm on paper. Okay, yeah, so I let, farm yeah. organically because I believe I in mean, it. I mean, th- I think we've talked about this a little bit before, and uh, let's make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, there's in California there's CCOF certified organic. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other agencies, um, and they make you go through a process, and it's everything is checked. Um, you have to show that you haven't, you know, what things you're putting on the vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um, they can look in to see what chemicals you're buying and what they're doing. And that gives you a certification. It costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. Um, some places, um, that's what it means to be organic. Um, you can farm organically and, um, and, and, and do it because you feel it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Probably the biggest difference is that you can't put it on your label and you can't Correct. use it in your advertising. Correct. That's not to say you can't talk about farming organically, yeah. but you can't put made from organically grown grapes Correct. unless it's been certified. Correct. Okay. So, um, I have, um, I have a wine that is uh, from a certified organic vineyard and it says from organically grown grapes on it. Mm-hmm. I have another vineyard that he farms without the use of Roundup and is a organic vineyard, but he doesn't want to go through the certification process. He doesn't believe in the boarding that, that, you know, handles it. So, Mm. um, in that case it's, it's farmed that way. That makes me feel better. It makes him feel better. And that's really all that matters. Yeah. Right. And, and the people that try my wines, you know, I, I talk about organic farming. I can tell them that I farm organically and they appreciate it. Because, you know, I believe in being a steward of the land and, 
you know, if you really want to want to preserve the earth and be truly sustainable, you don't use Roundup. You don't use chemicals. The only thing I use, I spray sulfur. Right. Other than that, I don't and use just, anything you else. Know, tell people why you do that. I do it because I think that it's important that you are putting things in your body that are good, that are not, that are chemical free. There's enough chemicals in this world that we're ingesting, not by choice, um, that if I can do one little thing, which is grow my grapes organically and give you a wine that's, that's as pure as possible, then I want to do that. But tell people why you use sulfur. Oh, why we use sulfur. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, to protect against powdery mildew. Um, Which, and what would happen if you didn't use it? Uh, we would have no grapes. Okay. Uh, you know, there are some areas that you can use less of it. Um, there are some areas that I need to use it a lot more. Um, and basically, it's a fungicide, but it's a natural fungicide. Um, and it's ensuring that we don't get powdery mildew, because if that comes into the, into the vineyard, it's going to get on your grapes, it's going to decay, and then you have just a bunch of rotten fruit. Okay. Because um, I think sulfur, for some people who who aren't in the winemaking business, sounds like something unnatural. Correct. Right. It is, so it is they, a natural They're like, product. why would you ever do that? Yeah. Right. And, you know, we use sulfur in the winery. We use SO2 as a preservative. I use very little amounts because there are certain cultural practices that I do in the winery to make it not as necessary in large amounts. Um but it's also a, a naturally occurring byproduct of fermentation. So all wine is going to have sulfur and B there's more sulfur in your foods and in these cans of things that you're buying in the grocery store than would ever be in a wine bottle. And most people don't know that. Yeah. I mean, people don't realize how much sulfur there is like in a box of dried apricots or oh, man. Um, oh, apricots anything that goes on example, some yeah. sort of a um, salad bar. Um, you know, those yep. are all doused pretty heavy yep. with sulfur. And, and realistically, I mean, we're talking about, um, by the time a wine gets to you, a red wine, it might have 20 parts per million yeah. of sulfur. Um, and that's from a, from a, uh, you know, a, a large scale winery mm-hmm. could have, it could be that low. So it's really, really small amounts. Yeah. Um, but it is the difference between every wine that you open or every bottle that you open out of a case all being, the same quality Mm -hmm. you know without it you don't know what bottle yeah or being able to ship it across country and not having to worry about yeah 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 absolutely i mean we're shipping wine i ship wine all over the country i'm shipping some to massachusetts tomorrow and then i'm shipping some to ohio the next day yeah and i want to ensure that i have a sound quality product right that arrives at their doorstep yeah so they can enjoy it okay um but yeah uh went off on a little bit of a tangent there uh, I think that's good. I think people, but, yeah. you know, that, that it's important for people yeah. to know why you guys do what you yeah. do. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of hard work. I spend a lot of extra hours in the vineyard every year because of it. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it makes a, I think it makes a better quality product and it, and it means something. Um, you know, I think this day is coming. I think that wine labels are going to have ingredients on them. I think it's probably inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's why I just like to stop and, and let people know why you guys do what you do. Cause yeah. I think it's important for people to get a little bit of history of, of what exactly you guys do. So if you see ingredients on there and you see sulfur, it's, it's not, um, yeah, it's not because it's okay. they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not just because they, uh, they decided they wanted to use something that, that, um, wasn't necessary. It'll be funny if they do that and people will see how many other ingredients are going into some wines. Well, you know, I mean, that's probably what's going to keep it ever from happening yeah. because, well, I, I don't think it's going to keep it from happening. I think what's going to happen is the people that don't use those things are going to put ingredients on and sort of, uh, force their hand. 
So people that aren't using everything Oak chips or <laughs> I mean, whatever you want to oh, say, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of things that some people yeah. will use in wine. So people that aren't doing that will have a sense of pride. Mm-hmm. And what they'll do is they'll want to put an ingredients um, on there, just like yeah. Randall Graham used to do at Bonnie Dune. And, and, yeah. and basically, but, the, but they would, you know, show the good and the bad, but it'll be people that aren't using those things that will want to put the ingredients. that will say, Hey, look, we're not using these things. Right. So basically saying, Hey, look, the other people that aren't posting ingredients are probably doing something that yeah. you don't know about that you don't want right. to know about that they don't want you to know right. about. Right. So you're saying that it's going to happen and that so many people that aren't afraid are going to do it that those of us who are also not. Doesn't it seem yeah. like a good marketing yeah, I plan anyway? Yeah, could happen, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, if I you're not see. doing those things, I mean, you're I, like, hey, I, I yeah. stand out. I'm yeah. Yeah. I'm proclaiming right now right. that I'm not doing I mean, Ridge, Ridge does it currently and I think there's... Right. Right. You know, they obviously have nothing to hide um, and they do. A, it's done well. It's done tasteful. It fits well on their label. So, mm-hmm. so Jess, these first two wines, the Rosé of Pinot and yep. the Pinot, um, uh, 18 is the Rosé. Yep. Um, 17 is the is the Pinot. Is this a, a blend of a couple of different vineyards or? Yeah. So those are three of my vineyards that I farm um personally again farm organically um they're all just right here on the sonoma side of carneros um it's 45 percent pomard 30 percent 115 and 25 percent clone 114 um they are all literally within a half mile of each other i drive my tractor down the highway to get oh, to yeah. each vineyard. You're that guy. I'm that guy. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I am that guy. Yeah, just in the last couple of weeks I've been behind that guy. Yeah. yeah. Um well next time wave. Don't you know, don't flip me off. Yeah. <laughs> Share the road, motherfucker. <laughs> um but yeah, so this is a blend of all three. Uh the Pomard goes into the twenty eighteen vintage as well. Unfortunately we do not have that vineyard anymore. Um, it was a friend of mine. He passed away, um, and they're selling the property. Hmm. So we won't have it for this vintage. I'm working on trying to get it back for the next. Uh, the rosé is beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Uh, delicate. Yeah. It's for mom. We make rosé for mom. Yeah. yeah. Mom drinks Tempe. You're a good son. And, uh-huh. uh, and so she gets four cases of this right off the line. Nice. Mom's got good taste. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really good. Thank you. And that's actually, uh, that's a Sonoma Coast blend. Um, mm-hmm. So that's coming out of two different vineyards, one in Russian River, one in Petaluma Gap. Um, that was merely done by a friend, a favor from a friend. I was like, hey, I need something for Rosé. And he said, okay, here you go. F- going on from now on out, it's actually going to come from some of the vineyards in Carneros that I have. Okay. So it'll be a dedicated press from my newest vineyard, which is on Burndale Road. Um, shout out to Michael Coates. Yep. Shout out to Michael Coates. Um so uh, we'll be making rosé out of that. Okay. And that's a great vineyard. Valerie's Vineyard is awesome. I've you know, been drinking the wine for years. And I helped pick it last year in the middle of harvest. Um, Allison called me and said, hey, do you want to come help? I said, yeah, you know, I got a little bit of time. And, you know, it's about helping your neighbors. Right. And uh, we had a great time out there. Had a couple of beers afterwards. I think it was like 10 yeah. in the morning. Beer lubricates the harvest. It does. <laughs> Run sure. the harvest for it sure. Really, it really Runs does. the harvest. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're happy to have Valerie, Valerie's Vineyard on. We're going to keep it alive, um, and uh, it's going to be a vineyard designate going on out, and we're not going to change the cool. name. Cool. Um, even though he is selling his home, 
If anybody needs a beautiful home on Burndale Road right. in Sonoma. Built-in vineyard manager. Built-in vineyard manager. <laughs> multiple contract styles. Um, Move in ready. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to keep it Valerie's Vineyard in honor of Valerie. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's so. Important. Okay, so we've tried the two Topophilia wines. Mm. Now you have Starcrest Vineyards. You have a bottle here on the table. And let's go back. So we're going way back. What's uh, what's Phil's last name? Phil Schlecht. Phil Schlecht. So Phil, you know, working at the Girl in the Fig and at the Fig Cafe, Phil is a guy that would come in um, and at the Fig Cafe, oh, both places, he would sit at the bar, always bring in a bottle of wine. Rarely did he order something. He always had something. So he must have a nice cellar at home. Beautiful cellar. And he would always, and he was always willing to, um, I only say was always because I don't work there anymore. It's probably still happening, but, um, Oh yeah, it is was always willing to share his wine and, and love talking about it. So, you know, the person to his left, the person to his right, there would be a conversation started and, and Phil would, and, and specifically Rones. I know he's uh, big into the Rones. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so at some point he, you guys started talking and how did it come about that you became his vineyard manager slash winemaker slash director, distributor? Of, director of operations as right, well. Right. Um, so Phil and I met originally when I was working in the kitchen at Cafe La Haye. Um, okay, shout out to Saul. Shout out to Saul, who now carries Topophilia wines. Nice. Which one? Uh, he carries the, uh, the Pinot. Okay. So uh, actually, it's only him and Bouchon actually has my wine as well. They were nice. my first placement, so nice. not a bad place to start. Yeah, uh, nice Bouchon, job. was Ian there? Ian was there. Nice. Uh, Ian's no longer there. He's over at Opus. Yeah, uh, Ian moved over to Opus. Had him on. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. I love Ian. Yeah. And he's a new daddy, <laughs> new too. Dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a scary thought. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so I actually was uh, there yesterday dropping off some some more wine to their new sommelier, and uh, he says it's been doing very well there over at Bouchon. But anyways, back to uh, back to Phil. So Phil and I originally met when I was there in the kitchen at um, Cafe La Haye, and then I came over and started working with you at, um, at Girl in the Fig. And uh, Phil, I saw him there at the bar doing his thing, sharing his wine, wow. and we just started talking wine one day, and he noticed that you know, it was something I was passionate about. And at that time, I was still in college um, and going to school for it. And he said, can you just come take a look at my vineyard and see what's going on? He had a, he had someone taking care of it, and he wasn't really happy. Um, and this is at his house? This is at his house here okay. in Sonoma. And whereabouts? You don't uh, have to give the address, but just like what part of Sonoma? Near, near the Fairmont. Uh, it's, his, his vineyards okay. are just below Hansel. Okay, so, so Boys Hot Springs. Boys Hot Springs, there. correct. Up in the mountains okay. above Boys Boys Hot Springs. Okay. So he uh I went out and took a look at his vineyard and it needed some love, I could tell. And what and what was going on in that vineyard? Who was this person that was supposedly I'm not gonna say who, uh, but this person <laughs> was not necessarily giving it the love and attention that a vineyard needs. Right. And uh, what was in the vineyard? Grenache, Syrah, Mavedra, and Viognier. Oh man, my dream. Right? And it's on a steep southwestern facing slope. I mean, we just did a replant there because uh-huh. we cut out all the Viognier. To replant it, we brought in a jackhammer. We're cutting through rock. But let me guess, oh. it's mainly planted in Syrah, right? Correct. Yeah. We're, I don't know why they did that. I, when all these Syrah vineyards were planted, you know, they planted them. Everybody said they wanted to make, you know, south of France wines, but they all planted them heavy in Syrah and very little Grenache. Right. Right. It, it was I, I, somewhere along the way. Someone was. That's what you know. It, doesn't it seem like though, Jess, that it's, it's, there was there was there was some point in time where people thought that 
Syrah was going to be like the next it was big, gonna be thing. The next yeah. big and thing. And so everyone got really excited about Syrah and, and then it just kind of just kind of fell by the happened. wayside. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't know why they didn't do it with Grenache. Right. Grenache is my favorite yeah. thing know, in the world. It's, it's Pinot's big brother. Yeah. Right. Um, I make a whole cluster Grenache now, not for my label um, right now, but we're actually going to start it this year. Um, and it's absolutely lovely. It's gorgeous. It's delicate. Yeah. It's still a feminine wine, but it has a little more oomph than our Pinot does. Mm-hmm. Um, but Phil's Vineyard, we're actually planting more Mavedra. Um, I made the call because the Mavedra, because we have so much Syrah, I'm now doing all of our Mavedra in stainless steel in order to retain a lot of our confectionery watermelon raspberry characteristics. Yeah. And because it's such a small amount, yeah. keeping it in the stainless, it keeps all that fruit. And then we bring it back, add it to our, you know, 90, 85% Syrah, 90% Syrah. Mm-hmm. And it makes a difference. It yeah. makes a really lovely wine. Yeah. And our Grenache is doing better than ever. When I took over this vineyard, the Grenache was pathetic. I mean, the shoots would maybe get a foot and a half tall. They barely hit the first trellis wire. Um, it was really, it was really a shame what I saw happening. Yeah. And mind you, I'd been working in the industry for a long time. I had great viticulturists. I was still in school. But I told him, I was like, you know, I can I can help you with this. I think there's something we can do. And so what was the deal you guys worked out? Uh, that first year, um, basically, I would just come in, help them from time to time, say, hey, have them, you know, switch this up, less less spurs. I mean, we're talking double cordon here with like 12 spurs on each arm. Yeah, It was ridiculous. So it was overcropped. Overcropped, yeah. correct. Out of balance, it just wasn't right, especially on a really steep, rocky hillside. Well, what seems odd is that why would you do that for basically someone's personal vineyard? Like for a personal vineyard, I'm I'm thinking I want to make the highest quality because this this guy is not interested even in really selling the wine. So yeah. let's make the best wine. Um, but it seems like the way they were farming it is for tonnage, which doesn't make any well, sense. Well, it actually, it, and Jess, you know better than us, but mm. it almost sounds like they were. It was just being farmed to a standard that whoever was pruning it just pruned it to that, and yep. that could have been. You know, they may have learned how to prune for you know a large behemoth yeah. winery, and just pruned it for that. You just know, what they were used to. It was Central Valley pruning. Not that there's right. anything wrong with that. It works right. great out there. They have right. to crop you know ten, fifteen, twenty tons to the acre, or else yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. But it's not high end, beautiful Syrah, beautiful Grenache. And what was what was happening with all that fruit? That fruit was all going to Starcrest even back then. And 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 Starcrest the label. What was happening with Star? Was there anyone behind the label actually pushing out into the market? I am literally pushing it into the market now. Okay. We just released the 2014 Girl in the Fig was the first person to purchase our wines, huh. um, and I am actually I am also the distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, basically, what I've done is I've started a book between my label and some other clients that I do winemaking for. Mm-hmm. And when I go out to a restaurant or when I go out to an event, I bring all of these wines with me because I believed in them. Um, I've worked with Starcrest since 2014, this vintage, which is when we changed the farming style. Um, And I believe in all these wines, so I want to see them succeed. And I don't necessarily get compensated for it all the time. Mm -hmm. But if I can talk about Starcrest and get it out there and get people enjoying it, more than happy to do it. I believe in, in supporting everyone. Um, which is kind of, well, that's what topophilia really means to me. So if I can touch on that real quick, yeah, please. topophilia means a love of place. 
It was a concept uh, written up about by a professor at the University of Wisconsin in the 70s. I randomly came across it while I was living in New Zealand. And it means loving a place not for its phys- just for its physical attributes, but the people in the community surrounding it. And in, in doing so, showing that love is supporting these small, small labels, supporting other small winemakers, um, just supporting small growers, everybody that's here. I want to see everyone succeed because when you have that happen, Sonoma succeeds. We're totally. a world-class wine region. We have the most diversity. I mean, we have Carneros, Pinot Noir. You drive 20 minutes north into Moon Mountain, and we have awesome Bordeaux blends coming out of there. We have Old Vine Zinfandel. I have Old Vine Zin that I farm on Garricky Road. It's been there for 100 years. Yeah, Gorgeous wines, all within 20, 30 minutes of each other. Yeah. 43 different varietals, what, 18 now, different AVAs in Sonoma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And even just Sonoma Valley itself. I mean, we have a lot of diversity here. Yeah, yeah. we're probably more diversity here in Sonoma Valley than the rest of the county. Correct. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's pretty special. Yeah. It's a very special place. And, you know, I produce wines from Sonoma Valley, from my Carneros vine- vineyards. I have a sin- single vineyard designate coming out of Russian River Valley for the 2018 vintage. That'll be released next year. Uh, Pino? Um, Pino. It's mm-hmm. from the Placida Vineyard uh, done by Chewy Ordaz, mm-hmm. yeah. who I'm sure you both know who Chewy sure. is. Oh, yeah. Chewy's the man. Yep. Um, and, you know... I want my wines to taste like the place they come from. I don't make a Sonoma Coast blend um, because all of the wines that I make are are intended to be from that place. Um, I make wines with intention, not just right. to blend. Right. And my my Carneros Pinot compared to my Russian River Pinot, two completely different animals. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. Some people might like one over the other. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to announce it just got gold at a Sunset International Wine Competition right. for Carneros. For which wine? For the Carneros Pinot Noir, my yes. inaugural release. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I'm very, very happy with that. That's awesome. And it's going quick now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah, Selling it's the hardest happens, part. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's uh, a common theme on this show. Right. Right? It Have is. Have you heard that before? I know. <laughs> you know. Just a couple times. You know, I listen to you guys when I'm out in the vineyards working. I'll be out there pruning with the guys or I'm tucking vines. I got headphones in. I'm listening to you guys. Yeah. So it's nice to finally be on here. Nice. Yeah. Nice to have you, Jess. Nice to have yeah. you. Thank you. No, the wines are great. I, you know what? I love this Syrah. It's delicious, huh? Yeah, the I Syrah know. is delicious. And so what was... It, what was... Uh, what, <laughs> what the fuck was Phil's plan for, for just like, let's just make a bunch of wine and cellar it? I, I, I don't know if there was a complete plan. I don't think you got to the selling part of it. So we have right. a lot of wine in stock, but also... I know. This, how, well, how so many, let me uh, let, let's back up a little yeah. bit. That I'm low and clear. He was already making before you got involved. Correct. He was already having someone make wine for him. Correct. And and where was that being made? Do you know, out on Eighth Street. Yeah. Okay. By us. Okay. Out out in the out in the ghetto. Okay. Yeah. So out in the so wine ghetto. He, but he just didn't. He just figured all of his friends would buy it and. Um, he has considered. Yeah, I believe he has a small share in a wine uh, wine shop in the city, and it's a a wine lounge. Um, and you know, I don't think it really got that far, right? So you know, we've been talking about it lately, and we're. I mean, Brian, it goes back to this whole thing. It's this, you know, the, coming up with the romance of the wine business, and you buy a piece of property, and it's got a vineyard, or you plant a vineyard, and you know, I don't think people really realize how much how much fruit you know a ton of grapes is, or two tons of grapes is, mm-hmm. and. Right. You say, well, I'm only going to make a bottle, a barrel a year because that's 
300 bottles and I can drink a bottle a night for a year. <laughs> yeah. And, but the fact is, is you don't. Yeah. And, um, and it just catches up with you and yeah. you know, you gotta be out selling. You gotta yeah. be out selling. But all the labels were, but he obviously had foresight because all the labels were TTB. Oh uh, no, that's what I'm saying. saying. I, yeah. mean, I, I yeah. mean, everything was totally on oh, the he, up and up. He it thought like, about it. It just, it just never happened. So since yeah. I've stepped in, when I moved home, we were in communication. I was living overseas. He would send me pictures. I'd say, okay, do this, do that. Um, and then when I came home, I said, okay, we need to start selling some of this stuff. And we started tasting through vintages. And the 2014 was the vintage. I was like, okay, let's give this a little bit more time because it needed a lot of time and bottle for it really to become what it is based on just a lot of different parameters, mm -hmm. the, the tannins, uh, everything about it. And now it's just drinking beautifully and we're really happy with it. So we're like, okay, we can start selling this. Right. And then by the time we're done selling this, hopefully the 2015 will be ready right. and we'll keep moving along and yeah. the wines are getting better and better every year. And that's based on the farming. I mean, it all comes down to your farming. Yeah. So because we changed that farming and we're, we're growing organically and we're really, really working at that. Um, it makes my job easier in the winery, which is nice. Yeah. Um, we're about to bottle the 17, which is a, a smaller, a smaller crop. Well, say that again. So you're about to bottle the 17. About to bottle the 17. Yeah. Yeah. It's been in barrel for a while. 100% neutral yeah. French oak. Um, we we go for for a long time in barrel. Um, yeah. I think it lends well to the wines and it needs time to settle out and really show its identity. And right. Syrah in general is, you know, it's such a fleshy, grapey flavor profile, mm -hmm. you know, um, a little bit of time and age. It tends to really, I mean, really young Syrah um, can still taste really young after, you know, a year and a half in yeah. barrels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just not ready to. Um, just very grapey. Yeah. Yeah. But what yeah. a unique opportunity to walk into. Basically, you're walking into a cellar full of wine that's like, hey, yeah, should we start sharing this with people? <laughs> should we share it with the world? Right. I mean, the hardest thing about it is, is that, you know, as sales goes, a lot of places, if you're, you know, selling, if you're not with the current vintage with what everybody else is selling, totally. it makes it a little bit harder to sell. Mm -hmm. And there are always those people that go, holy cow, you've got 14 Syrah. I, Brian Casey, you would do that. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, 2000, well, I had some 2009 Shannon Blanc. We, we've, you know, <laughs> you'd be all over that. Yeah. Um, Anything but, Shannon. But, but it's, but it is, it's, it's, you have to, it's hard to stay current sometimes. And especially when you have a lot of the wineries that are doing well and selling a lot of wine and they're bottling their wines, you know, there's all, there's people that are shipping 18s already. Uh, and I've seen it, um, you know, not just shipping. <laughs> no, and that's what I mean. And yeah. so somewhere along the way, you know, I mean, heaven forbid that you're, um, you know, selling a past vintage rosé at this point. Yeah. You know, you better be out of it. Yeah. I, I know there are those brands and there are those brands that taste better. I know Sam's, you know, they're they're not they're just now releasing their rosé the um the 18 the, the 18 the, no or the, the 17 
the, the eighteen, the newest one, yeah. The, yeah. the the kosher. But but you know what I'm saying? Well, is, they've got a few. <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying is that it it is part of the part of the art of selling is staying relevant with what else is being sold. That's true. And it's a little right. more work to sell something when you're a little behind in vintage. Yeah. Even though that might be your plan. Yeah. Like you're like right. this wine's not ready yet, yeah. so we're selling it. You know, a lot of buyers will go, well, why are they? Why are they selling this from a previous vintage? And if they are, then there must be a good price on it. Yeah. And and a lot of people think that. And, you know, I, I've i ran into those troubles with Starcrest before. And um, when, you, when you find those people that are really interested in wine and really know wine, and I tell them there's a reason we waited this long and now it's in its prime. This is when you want to drink it. Well, uh, and yeah, you got to get it in their mouth. Yeah. That's it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And I think we talked about that on the last podcast. It's one of those things that's really funny when when allocated wines come out and people are so excited to have the next Cinquan on, to have the next Saxum, and yeah, and they end up ordering it right when you put it on the list, and it's like, holy shit, not guys, even that close. thing needs ten years minimum before you really want to be drinking it. But everyone wants to say that they drank yeah a Cinquan on or a Saxum or one what of you really ones. need to do is take it and bury it in your cellar and forget about it. Right, and, and the, then you. But find the problem it, is at restaurants is that oh, restaurants. Yeah. That you, I mean, you're basically saying let's take a thousand dollars and go bury it in the backyard. Exactly, and we're not going to get make any interest yeah. on it. And then in ten years, we'll dig up that pile of money, and and the owners are like, "What are you talking about? What is wrong with you?" Right. So it's not going to happen. So this no. this is actually really cool. I like how we kind of stumbled upon this. Uh, um, I mean, drinking a 14 Syrah right now. And that, that happened last night. I had some guys that came in and they wanted, they were looking at talisman, um, Pinos. And they're like, what do you think? There's like, we have, you know, five or six different vineyard designations. I said, look, we got an 09. Let's do something with some age on it. And 09 was a great Right. Year. So let's hit something with Spring Hill. Let's, let's oh, hit the some, Spring Hill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's do something with a little age on it. They were like, great. And it was tasting amazing. And all Scott's wines age very, very well. Yeah. I bet. Speaking of 09, we opened a 09 Signorello Cab Franc for uh, Father's Day, actually, for my dad. I cooked a Chateaubriand, did an 09 Cab Franc from Signorello. Nice. Decanted it for two hours. Yeah. I mean, we drank a little bit throughout that two hours. Right. But talk about a beautiful wine. <laughs> yeah. And cool. very nice. Um, so so besides Topophilia, you got the Starcrest wines. Yep. You said that you, there were some other things that you were kind of adding to this little book that you have. So, so I so I do private label winemaking. Um, I currently make wine for uh, for a couple of small companies. I make wine for a catering company, mm-hmm. uh, Epicurean Connection. Okay. So I make a rosé. And then they offer that to their guests when they book events? Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's an offer for them. Um, I do. Some people just want their own label. So I have mm-hmm. a guy out in uh, Connecticut. He wanted his own label to share with his friends. Sure. So I make wine for him. Who does it? Yeah. He wanted a Sangiovese. I want my own label too. I got to ask, where did he find you? Where did you find him? I had a guy. <laughs> we, have, we have a mutual friend that's okay. from New York and they worked together years ago in, yeah. in the stock market. That's, and That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. So I do that. Um, I, I make wine for Hamilton Family Winery, mm-hmm. um, which is a brand new, we just released their wines actually, uh, brand new. Um, we do Sauvignon Blanc, Rosé, Pinot from the Russian River. Um, and then we have a GSM that we uh, sourced last year from um, the Deering Vineyard, which is just above Beltane yeah. Ranch. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's the one that I'm nerding out on with our whole cluster Grenache. Mm-hmm. When I tasted it for the first time, which was a few months ago, it had been the first time in a while. It was sitting in barrel, kind of mellowed out, did its thing. 
the first thing I thought of was just sexy. It was really, really fucking good. Right. So we're actually going to peel some off and bottle it on its own instead of blending it into our GSM. And it's a true GSM. It's a uh, it's Grenache mostly. Right. And with with Phil's property, is he bottling everything? Everything was bottled separate. So the Grenache, the Syrah, the Mavedra, it's all together. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. okay. So, so the Syrah is primarily Syrah, and then you're putting some of the Grenache and the Moved in. Correct. But you said that you had planted more Moved, ripped Correct. out the Viognier. Yep. So the plan going forward is? Still bottle it all together. The okay. Mavedra is just a no really good... No single um, um, varietal. Unless one year I see that the Mavedra is tasting really good, maybe we'll peel off like 10 cases. Or but, you but decide... see, I mean, so, so the other thing you have to understand, Brian, here is what you're talking about is that the Starcrest Vineyard itself isn't that big. Okay. Yeah. It's so, so there's, there's times where it comes to practicality. It's like to keep that small amount of Mouvedre or Grenache separately. Right. And for the health of the wine, Mm -hmm. it's really hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, ideally you want like a full barrel of something. And my guess Correct. is there's probably not a full barrel of Mouvedre on the property. Oh, no. Okay. And, and so not right you, now. Right. Right. Exactly. There will be in the future, right. but right but, now we have it in kegs. Yeah. I just okay. kind of speaking in generally, you know, yep. so it makes it hard and, um, keeping things in kegs or anytime you have like a partial, mm-hmm. like one of the hardest things to do in winemaking is manage something that's a partial. Right. Yeah. Like the number one rule in winemaking is what Jess? Not have partials. Yeah. Top, your, top your barrels. <laughs> Topping no, barrels. Top your barrels. Is that where we were going? Yeah. Keep everything like, top. No, I'm serious yeah. because no, keep everything topped up at all times. You know, you oh. have a half a keg, yeah. and um, it, you know, it sits for a month until the next yeah. time you go back to it, and it's at it. It can it, be spoiled. It can and, be gone. Yeah. I mean, so, we we do break down into into half bottles. Right. Even. Right. Wow. Yeah. We have. I mean, we have entire totes full of half bottles. Wow. Right. But so that's you have you know you have quality. a you have a, a three gallon keg yep. and then you have a five gallon carboy and then you have a two and a half gallon carboy and then you have a seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottle and you half just break bottles. and break and break and so wow. um, when it gets under a half bottle we just drink it because <laughs> that's all we really do you know just hang out and drink wine right, <laughs> right. I mean that's what the wine business is yeah right? totally hundred <laughs> percent look at us today <laughs> uh, but yeah so I have the Hamilton family winery um, they're building a tasting room actually as we speak out in Kenwood um, their home burned in the fire so they're just rebuilding it. it's almost done hopefully soon so they'll have a small tasting room there um, and then I actually have uh, I just started another label um, with some business partners um, it's more of a volume-driven brand. It's called Slanted Vines Wine. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Now, and, does uh, it have to do with... This is a great question because yeah. I'm actually curious about this. Slanted Vine. <laughs> so I've noticed more and more now um, looking at vineyards where the last vineyard in the row is one of those slanted <laughs> poles that they're planting it on. And I'm wondering why people do that. That's. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Okay. I, that, that's because the vine... You, you maximize your vineyard, right? So... The vine at the end, the trellising only goes one way. Right. Yeah. So you farm it up the the, the end post. Yeah. Um, and and I think slanted vine is probably more of a reference to the way the vines um, grow against the wind down in yep. Carneros. Yeah. Would that oh, be right? Cool. Yeah. Blowing so in the wind. Vines. Yeah. Carneros, we have that. Um, you know, even out in Petaluma Gap, you'll go through some right. of those really windy areas. And you know, my business partners who were the ones that came up with the name. Um, you know, it just resonated with them seeing all these vines just slanted in the wind. It was just something like sexy to them and romantic. Yeah. And so they called it that. Um, 
So that's actually going to be launched about a month from now. We're slapping labels on it next week. Okay. Uh, so this and is what, brand new. Uh, what varietals? Uh, we have Sauvignon Blanc, Rosé, Pinot, and then we have a red blend that we'll be bottling hopefully spring of next year. And is that... Um is that a are you sourcing all the fruit and making the wine or are you doing some of that kind of negotiant style it's a little bit of a mix i have i have other people making it for me so i know where i know the vineyards um they basically make it to my specs and say hey i need you to make this for me and you know here's what i need i need this much oak you know i need these so you're doing you're you're using other people's facilities correct but you guys are buying the grapes yeah and we're going through the process yeah yeah Yeah. you're not buying bulk samples no so we're we're taking that and we're just having someone else deal with all the 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 guts of it whereas for my label i'm there every single day right um you know not to say that slanted vines isn't important to me but it's definitely meant yeah, for the it, masses. It, well, and it's a great right. wine, especially so what at a, is the, at a what $14 is the, price point. Right. What is it? How much? 14 Right. We're, sell, we're selling to like Costco and we're selling to big grocery stores. Right. So this is meant for chain stores. And we're bringing and we're also supporting Sonoma County in this because we don't, we're not sourcing fruit from all over California and able right. in order to make Putting this blend. California label we're, on. Yeah. We're still doing Sonoma and we're still using great growers. Right. Um, I've just used my connections in the industry and the people I've met and said, Hey, yeah. we want to, we want to support Sonoma and, and slanted doors wine or slanted door restaurant. Hasn't come after you yet about changing Not the name. Yet. I'm sure it'll come. We'll <laughs> work out a deal. If it was a Riesling or a Gewurz for me, yeah. they might be, uh, we might have, we business. might have a problem. Um, <laughs> no, we're safe there so far. No, but I'm all about value oriented wines. I think the more you get into wine and, and the wine biz, yeah. uh, at least from my pr- perspective as a wine buyer, you get into value oriented wines. I want things, I want wines that over deliver for the price. Yeah. And yeah. that's what, that's what we're achieving that's, with slanted vines. Yeah. Um, you know, my wines are definitely, they're not cheap. They're not overly expensive. Um, but I put a lot of effort into it, into the farming, into the winemaking, into the presentation. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but that, but that part of it though is hard to, it's hard to explain on a label. It really is. You know what I mean? People it are like, really what's is. the difference? I don't understand. This rosé is $12 yeah. and this one's $40. Like, but they, <laughs> Oh man, $40 rosé. Right. Oof. But they're both made out of the same grape. Yeah. They're like, they don't understand the difference. Well, this yeah. one's been touched 500 times and that one has been touched twice. Yeah. Uh, once when they picked him, uh, once when they put the label on exactly, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it, it is. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of love that goes into topophilia. Um, awesome. and it, it really means something to me. So I still don't see the butt on there, Jess. I'm telling you, dude, it's right here. Yeah. Right, right there. Right at the very bottom. Right there. Yeah. See the hourglass shape. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> We need to work on your definition of a woman. Um, no, I, I, I <laughs> no, you know what? Not everyone sees it. You're not the only one. Some people only see the elephant. Oh, you see the yeah, elephant? yeah, yeah, yeah. The so elephant you, that's popping the bubble. Yep, yeah. you're the elephant guy. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, some people see around. that. What was that one thing? Remember where they'd play that one thing and people would either hear this or hear that? Right. Do you remember that? That was like six months ago on the internet. And, right. and it was and, kind of the difference between is the dress blue or is the dress gold? Yeah, it was oh, okay. crazy. So yeah, so that's cool. You, yeah. you sort of separated out your. Uh, <laughs> it's your open consumers. to interpret. <laughs> it's open to interpretation, just like all that's wine right. should be. Everyone tastes differently. Everyone sees a label differently. So Jess, if people want to get a hold of topophilia yep where can they go you can go to topophiliawines.com that's t-o-p-o-p-h-i-l-i-a wines.com um 
you know, we do have an online store. We are going to be doing a pouring here coming up July 20th at the panel here in Sonoma. Nice. Lovely love little wine bar. Shout out to the panel. We yeah. love the panel. Shout out yeah. to Dar, Charlie, and Zoe. Yeah. Um, yeah. We great will be family. Great coffee. Great coffee. If you just want to hang out, Wi-Fi, and hang out there yeah. and have a beer too, right on yeah. tap? Beer on tap. Yeah. 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 Nice I beers. definitely I definitely go in and drink beer there during harvest. Yeah. Uh, we'll be pouring Topophilia wines there as well as Starcrest. Um, so you can get a taste of that. Um, you know, there's only a few places that you can try my wines. Sonoma's best. Shout out to Todd Jolly. Todd Jolly, right on. Um, and then Bouchon was our first placement. Uh, Cafe La Haye was our second. Mm-hmm. Um, working on one a three-star Michelin restaurant in the city right now. So I won't say that yet, but we're fingers crossed. Nice. We're going to get in there. I got a guy, so okay. working the <laughs> angles. And then Starcrest, if people want to try that, is there actually a way to get a hold of that wine? You can go to his website. Uh-huh. Hold on one second. Starcrestvineyards.com. Okay. Um, and you can purchase directly through him. Or if you if you go on to Topophilia, send me an email or send Phil an email, the owner of Starcrest. Mm-hmm. Um We'll work something out. We can we can schedule a tasting. We can tell you when we're going to be pouring at different events. Okay. And what do you think that retails for? Uh, retail Starcrest is $36. For the 14 Syrah. For the 14 Syrah, $36. Yeah, that's nice. Pretty value-oriented, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, rose, my rose, Topophilia is 25. Our Carneros Pinot, which just won gold at mm-hmm. Sunset International Wine Competition, is 45. Uh, what was the price before you took gold? Uh, price before <laughs> 50. <laughs> no, it's, it's been 45. We offer 10% okay. discount for cases and things like that. The usual, okay. Um, okay, nice. but we'd love for you to try it. We got a really, we have a lot of really good wines coming up. Um, this year is open purchasing. Um, so you can purchase off the website going forward. It's an allocation list only. Okay. Um, our list is filling up quick. So if you do go to topophiliawines.com, that's T-O-P-O-P-H-I-L-I-A, Wines. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter, and that will automatically get you on the allocation list now nice. before we start having to shut it down. Okay, great. Um, yeah, what's total production for Topophilia? We did a whopping 100 cases of Carneros <laughs> Pinot Noir, and we did a whopping 60 cases of Rosé. Wow. I had to make sure I could sell it first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. you know what? If, if I were going to make a wine, I would probably do the same thing. I would be... Um, I would be doing about that amount. <laughs> yeah. Well, going going forward, so the 2018 vintage, which will release next spring, we have about 125 cases of the Carneros Pinot Noir. We're going to have um, around 50 to 55 cases of our single vineyard designate Pinot out of Russian River Valley, the beautiful Placida Vineyard, uh, located right behind Dellinger. Um, oh, nice. It's great soils, beautiful wines coming out of there. Um, and then Rosé for the 2019 vintage, we're probably going to make about 130 cases. Okay. So we're ramping up production. We're making it available. Um, we So right now, you know, obviously, I'm selling this all by hand. This is all done through me 100%, and it will continue that way. But we are going to be in Texas next year. I have a buddy who has a distribution company there. Nice. So we're going to be selling a lot of wine in Texas. Now how are you feeling about uh, Rosé, Future of Rosé? I think it's fantastic. I know. I do too. And I, you know what? I keep drinking it. I keep drinking it and drinking it. And All I hear year people long. say, wow, the market is saturated this year with rosé. But I mean, maybe people need to drop their price a couple dollars a bottle if it, if it gets kind of saturated. But it, it's all quality stuff. When it's, um, when it's quality, 
there's no reason that it shouldn't be out there in the world. Yeah. We should drink rosé all year long. And, I'll and drink it goes, in winter. It I don't goes care. With, I do too. And it goes with everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the universal wine. Right. Steak, rosé. Oh, uh, me, burger, blue yeah. cheese and bacon. Burger, rosé. Right. See, that's how I feel about <laughs> Pinot Noir. And I've always felt that way. When yeah. I worked at a restaurant, um, my my GM always gave me, uh, gave me shit because I would only sell Pinot. Mm-hmm. And he's like... So what he's a Frenchman. He's like, so what if someone has steak? I'm like, Pinot, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Russian River. Russian River. Give me totally. something that's a little more opulent. Right. Or even Carneros Pinot is great with steak because it's more earthy. It's a little more rich. Uh, interesting, right? I mean, if you'll notice, there's a lot of spice in my wine. Yeah. It's on the richer side for a Pinot. It goes great with a steak. Why not? Yeah. I mean, what, do, what, what are you using? French, American? I use oak? I use all French oak. Okay. Uh, on this particular blend, I did 25% new French oak. Only the Pomard sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, I let the 114 and the 115 retain its fruit characteristic. Mm-hmm. The Pomard lends itself better. Um, our, my Russian River blends, I do 40 to 50% new oak. Um, wow. I want to bring a little bit more out just than just cherry. Um, I use mm-hmm. a couple of different clones, um, but giving a little more oak, I think, just gives a little more character right. without losing its identity. Right. I use uh, I use oak that isn't as invasive as some other as some other producers and some other cooperages. Um, it just adds nice subtle nuances to it right, and right. really completes the wine. Yeah. Yeah. Around it. Yeah. Yeah. Great wines, Jess. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Bart, you want to get any shout outs uh, this week? You know, I guess, uh, I guess I really don't have anything. Thanks to everybody out there. Um, I have no events or anything coming up right now, you know, starting to think about harvest, getting out, spending a lot of time in vineyards wow. over the next couple months. Yep. Um, just, you know, signing a couple contracts for some grapes. Um, thanks to everybody who's out there listening. Um, thanks for all the support, you know, uh, both yeah. on. I keep selling wine to people who hear about the wine wine or hear about my wines from the podcast. Right. So, Again, thank you guys. Really yeah, I don't. I don't know any. I mean, besides rosé, Chenin Blanc for me is the perfect summer wine. So I don't know anything else that you'd be drinking in the summertime. Right. Um, <laughs> Maybe a little but, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, yeah, a little SB here and there is good. Um, yeah. Brian and I are going to be um, trying to get out on the road. We're setting up some um, upcoming uh, podcasts here. I, um, yeah, and I yeah heading up to uh, Auburn. I think is uh, right. on our agenda, and then um, I think we really need to go see Melanie. And if it means that we need to go spend the night well, so um, down there. I, uh, we'll have to talk about that because okay. I, I have something coming up with that. We can okay. Talk about, so, okay, but cool. I guess that's off the air. So um, I guess uh, one shout out uh, for Sam since he's not here. Um, Sam has Vinyl Sunday coming up on June 30th from 2 to 5. Um, Chuck Matto also known as the flavor train and music by that's what the girls used to call me in high school right. and, and Orlando not and, and, and Don and Tony or Tony and Don go ahead, Brian. That's where you insert the Orlando. You know what? Yeah. There's no Orlando, Tony, Orlando and Don. No, Orlando got cut out. Yeah. I guess so. Orlando got a raw deal. Um, yeah. Shout out to um, shout out to our friends at Bohemian uh, highway travel company. Um, uh, Nigel and Allison um, have a real cool um, tour um, program going on. They take you out in Range Rovers. Uh, uh, Land, Rovers. Land Rovers. 87 Land Defenders. Yep, 87 Defenders. Nice. And they actually have they have a setup where you can rent it and take it, and it's set up with a 
a tent on top of it. Correct. And you actually take the vehicle yourself, right? So you take the vehicle out. Um, they set you up with all the provisions that you need. You have your camping stove. They give you directions. You are set up to go. And you go out to like the coast or there's a couple other spots. I They might be doing stuff with Hudson, I believe now. Yeah. So you can go out and go camping and you can go wow. camp and they have everything set up for you. Uh, they also, um, I have actually partnered with them as well. We have something called Day with a Winemaker. So if you go on their website, which is bohohighway.com, that's B-O-H-O-H-W-Y.com, you can set up a day with a winemaker and spend the day with me. Nice. We'll start out at my vineyard. I'll show you organic farming. We'll taste some of my wines, and then we'll move along. We'll go to different uh, vineyards I've worked with in the past, different wineries I've worked with, maybe some wineries that I make wine for currently, um, and we'll show you Sonoma. We'll show you the diversity that we have here. Uh, the beauty here and you know you'll taste some great local foods as well so we do nice. lunches and it's it's a lot of fun and that's what that's sort of where everything is heading and we've talked about this is um is towards the experience yeah people don't want to just come and go to a tasting room where they're three deep and they're getting a little one ounce splash they yeah. they want to spend time with you yeah and so let's offer that to people let's offer a cool experience where they can come and hang out with you for a um for for more than uh, an hour or two spend yeah. a day with you man yeah we get the great. whole day together i had yeah. some guests from west virginia and it was on a tuesday last week and um they wanted to go to farmers market so i said great here's a bottle of rosé that i had chilled at my house i brought him one of my you know picnic blankets i got him some glasses and i met him downtown i said hey have a good day yeah enjoy i'll see you tomorrow i'll pick my stuff up yeah. And, you know, it's cool. I don't get paid to do that, but I want people to enjoy Sonoma. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. It's, awesome. it's a great awesome. place. No, it's cool. Okay, guys, I'm sorry to say we got to wrap this one up. It's all good. Dane's at a debate camp. I'm not sure that that was our best choice to send him <laughs> to the camp. He's already a very good arguer or he's very good at making his point. And and it's funny. I didn't know that he would really be into this thing, but he's fully immersed himself into it. So. Well, who gets the most? Uh, so, so for me, my wife gets the debate from my daughter. With with me, she knows if I say something's happening, it's yeah. happening. But with my wife, she knows that if my wife says something's happening, that means it's an opening for a discussion. So is that the same same Dane, with you guys? In I think in Dane's opinion, everything's open for discussion. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I shut that down at a very young age. Smart man. Good for you. Well, I figured my brain is bigger than hers. At some point I realized that and was like, you know what? Instead of all the kids, my wife will be like, all right, you guys, come on. We're leaving. Get in the car. Come on. Get in the car. Where's your shoes? Get in the car. I, I, I walk in the room and I go, last one in the car is a rotten egg. (laughs) They run as fast as possible. And I'm like, that's honey. That's where the big brain comes in. Just walk out hands in the air. Done. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you guys, thank you very much for listening. Hey, and if you have time, leave us a five star review on, uh, whatever, you know, we're on the Himalaya. I guess that's one of the new ones. <laughs> is that a new one? Sandra really likes that Himalaya huh. one. I haven't um, checked it out yet. Yeah, you can go to all the different platforms and uh, download the um, uh, RadioMisfits.com. Go check out past episodes. Um, what are we up to? Like buy more Shannon Blanc. Four hundred and five. <laughs> uh, Always buy more, Shannon. Buy more Shannon Blanc Always and Shannon. Um, and Rose for the summer. So yeah. happy summer, you guys. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Jess, hey, good to see you, man. Good to see you as well. Thanks yeah. for having me on, guys. Yeah, nice Appreciate to finally it. get you on the show. The wines are beautiful. Thank nice. you. All right, we'll look forward to talking to you next week.